You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast. The Trek Files, Season 10, Episode 11. Letter to Gene Roddenberry from Stomar Enterprises, December 19th, 1979. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Welcome back, Star Trek fans, all you Star Trek historians out there. Uh, yes, you tech heads, um, <laughs> you canonistas, I always say that lovingly. Basically, all of you Trekophiles, spelled with an F, of course. Another great uh, look, if you heard our last episode, if you heard last week's show, and why haven't you if you haven't, um, we're going to do a follow up. We found some more in the Gene Roddenberry, the Roddenberry Company archive files. We're back in the motion picture era with another fascinating little corner of a story here. Um, well, you can check it out for yourself. Go to our page, facebook.com slash the Trek Files. Uh, that's where our documents are always housed. Check out this week's letter, uh, a, a very polite letter of grievance from a high-end source to Gene. You want to check it out. Look, here is an audio sample, of course, but hang on. I'll be right back afterwards with this week's special guest. delivered more than 40 simulation loops, of which more than 20 are readily apparent in the film. Only a part of these are the loops programmed by Jesko von Puttkammer. In addition, Stomar provided a mechanical targeting device for Mr. Chekhov's area, which appears in the final film, provided macrographic components for the entrance to the teleport room, and provided the style samples from which the medical scan was developed. Further, I personally provided consultation to the art department, including the recommendation of the use of fluorescent plexiglass as opposed to standard colored plexiglass in the lit details of the bridge. Well, fans, that sounds intriguing. This is a wonderful letter, and it's the kind of letter that happens after episodes, after movies especially, are released. If you listen to our, our our last episode, we talked about those infamous little uh, display ovals that were all over the motion picture bridge that are, yeah, that are infamous, that are the saga of themselves, uh, the, the earlier versions of the movie bridge from the original series Enterprise, the, the refit 1701. Um, they become a little legend unto themselves. And so we found this letter. Let's talk about this letter. Who better to do that with than our good friend, friend of the show, and head of the restoration project for the motion picture, now in a glorious 4K edition, is our good friend David Fine. David, thanks for coming back. And um, I, I thought that after our last conversation, this letter is almost like an icing on the cake or a cherry on top, or maybe a sour cherry on top for the Stomar folks. What, do you, what did you think when you saw this? First of all, I'm happy to be here. Thanks. Uh, uh -huh. It's, uh, I, there are so many people, so many talented people who worked on motion picture that it doesn't surprise me that someone could slip through the cracks. Um, we fixed Rick Price's credit because we found a memo mm -hmm. from Roddenberry that we covered on here 
that uh, Roddenberry said, okay, you know, he was he was the the producer and the boss at the time. He said there should be a credit. Should we ever get a chance to do it? So we put it in. Uh, you showed me this letter, but there's no other Roddenberry side saying acknowledging that yes, in fact, they did this. Since we weren't there at the time, it's obviously not something that we could have made a change to unless Gene had said yes, these people deserve a credit. That doesn't mean that they don't. It just means that there was no other side to the letter. There were just such such amazing uh, uh, work with those screens, with the with the uh, animation and graphics that were created for the film. I mean, I know that uh, Robert Abel and Associates were doing a lot of them at the start, Lee Call, and and um, it's nice to see other names showing up with it. Um, I wonder if any other articles were written by them because usually the response that a producer usually says, because you're not going to have an opportunity to go back and, and uh, uh, change credits most of the time, is that you say, you know, hey, how can, can I write you a letter or something and you use it promotionally? I wonder if there's something out there right. that should let them trying use some of the graphics up. and, trying to and make just it to acknowledge the, yeah. because really the credits are, are just, you know, a resume for this is the next piece of work that we had. Not just, a, you know, not just, hey, look, we did this. It's it's to, to afford it. So you kind of look and see how can you do what's best for your crew because people matter and what those designs are and, with, and, and how they've worked does matter to, to, to everybody. So yeah. I'm sorry that to, it happened to, to them if that's the yeah. case, but. Well, just to back up for a second, and just so everyone's on the same page, uh, we we say these names like they're nothing, but uh, you know, there's some there's so much rich history to Star Trek, and it feels like there are chapters and chapters for the motion picture alone. But Robert April was the original visual effects producer, right? Uh, who was who could not keep up the graduating from Seven Up and uh, and Levi's commercials, couldn't handle the load, was let go, and of course, uh, you know, Doug Trumbull coming in. Um, and let me and before we go off there, Lee Cole, who was in the graphics department and came up with all the, the wonderful graphics, first generation from motion picture, a lot of which are still used to this mm -hmm. day and worked on these loops, too. But you were saying I just wanted to say that the there was even when we came onto the project 20 some odd years ago, there was this belief that that there were so many problems with with uh, uh, Robert Abel. And the, the fact is, Richard Urasich and Doug Trumbull came forward and said, their ideas were brilliant. They absolutely were breakthrough. They really would have given something that was truly unique. It was just inventing the wheel, and it wasn't going to ever be possible to do in time. And the thing is, the film had to come out, and it was already right. beyond schedule. And in order to have the film, they had to be replaced. It was not because they, as you said, they didn't have, they couldn't do it. Sure, they could do it, but with the time schedule, a year went by and they hadn't delivered any visual effects. It just had to have a change. And I always felt uncomfortable when, when we were talking about Abel because it would be, well, he failed. No, it was, it was worthy. And, I'd, and someday I'd love to know what it would have been like had those films been able to be, film been made that way. But I certainly yeah. love the way that it is now. And it's certainly it's about the up. logistics and delivery, not the creativity and the, and the imagination. And yeah. the spirit of what was behind it, right? Because yeah, they it's were a perfect example. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a perfect example of you know the the, the bridge to the Viger memory complex. You know that bridge had to be abandoned for a knocked over brick wall. You know, just we didn't have time. Knock it down, pull up to it, bump. You're there. Okay, now let's run across. That was just simply time. Not that the idea wasn't wonderful, and we were able to get the idea back into it. Same thing. 
But that's with the tremendous, you get a whole team of people that have designed that. Then you get a whole new team of people that are designing the new one. So many names, so many people. It's amazing that everyone was acknowledged. It's sad to see a letter like this. That it had to. Well, and I look at this. Look, Stomar is on the East Coast. They're Arlington, Virginia. And the, the, I don't know if that was part of it, too, that the fact that they weren't in L.A. and part of the Hollywood mix. Now, it was a dead run. We were talking, you know, we mentioned this, the December 7th deadline. That was a dead. <laughs> they do this a over and over again, especially with Star Trek. Right, right, exactly. For, for another reason. But they, had, they, they were going to pay out all. They, they, had, they had lined up theaters with a promise mm -hmm. of running the film, and they had reserved the time. And, and as had to be an inducement, they would the agree shows to, in there. Yeah. Right, and they were going to pay millions of dollars in penalties if they did not fulfill, Paramount did not fulfill its end mm -hmm. of the bargain to all the theaters that it had lined up. So they were going to be out tons of cash if they didn't, that's what this was about. It wasn't about well, pride or just a, a contract. Right. It could have been the company. It was such Paramount. a big deal that they made such an agreement. And you know, you get, Gene Roddenberry with the legend Robert Wise that he was, that you knew that these guys of all people could pull it together so we can trust that date. And it was just the, the able issue that came along. And it's, as I, I said at the screening we went to recently, what Bob knew the, the most, one of his, his greatest assets was he knew how to get the right people to work with. And he knew that Doug Trumbull, who then brought on John Dykstra, these guys could pull it off and he trusted them. And that's where it was so important that that work got done and why it felt so important to me that he allowed me and my team to, to carry on in the same way. And the fact that they came in, replaced Abel, and were behind, and a lot of things, like the model work, the, the mm -hmm. physical miniatures were scrapped or modified and things were rejiggered. And even, even yeah. in the process, the memory wall became mm -hmm. Spock spacewalk. I mean, so many things, it's amazing. But that's also why that part of that Rush story that's legendary now is I remember, you know, the late, great Greg Jean and other people mm -hmm. telling me how everybody and their kids and their grandma and their dog and their dog walker, everybody in town, had if, to if you could be, yeah. do if you were sitting there spray painting wacky forms and gluing things together in the analog days before digital. I mean, it was like everybody in town had a job for four months working on the visual effects of Star Trek. Three, it felt like to make three that eight hour shifts, Three eight-hour shifts, seven days a week. Yeah to do that. And someone, one of my favorite stories, I think Pat McClung told this, was as they were shooting the, the, the first part of V'ger, they still had people on the other side of the, of the model painting and working on it as they're shooting the first side of it. Whatever you do, don't wow. shake the model. <laughs> but, <laughs> but they're literally building as it goes along. It's just Sound wasn't amazing. a problem, but right. The yeah, but now, now that we are all these years later, I'm still amazed because now we're so used to visual effects everywhere. That, unless, that the quality of the design and what's there stands up even to this day as something special. And, and that also, yeah, that also adds to this legend. And again, the last time you visited with us, we were talking about how people need to completely see the 4K version. And it's not just about brighter, you know, there's so many aspects it's, and all those intrinsic things like the you, ambient noise that you think makes it feel boring and hollow. But once it comes to life, no, the color regrading is amazing. Now I can see blues and grays. There are reds in this movie and pinks. Did you know that? <laughs> yeah, I know. I used to. But, I, but all I, those we, aspects. But but it's it's um, the fact that that rush meant that they were just slinging the visual effects sequence. Nothing was edited and timed. Mm -hmm. And when people talk about it being slow, 
That's the reason. And well, it's, a, it's the first assembly. It's literally the first assembly. Right. And the thing is that people need to understand is that if you've ever seen Star Trek The Motion Picture, if you haven't seen the version from last year, the 4K 2022 completion, you've never seen the film. Mm-hmm. You have to let go of what you saw because you saw something that was not finished in any way. Imagine if you went out and shot your, your home movies, put all the stuff together and said, okay, let's get everybody together and watch it all. And you see people standing around holding a camera. It's not fun. Or just standing, you don't have any of the tightness and the, the color was bland because they had no time to color time it. They cut scenes out that were supposed to go in, back in when they had time to assemble it. Spock's crying. It was supposed to be because I had the 130 minutes. They were going to put scenes back in. Never had time to, to fine tune it. The colors there for the first time because they were so rushed. They needed everything to be flat and even. Four days to color grade a whole picture. And, and we talk about, yeah, that's amazing. We talk about shipping the film cans wet. It's, you know, oh, Bob it's literally, and they, Bob, they joke, yeah, yes. literally carried the film can with a, with a, uh, a reel, the last reel, literally dripping with chemicals. There's a term in, that you say it's a wet print, but it's, it's to get scratches and stuff out of it and was one of the reasons, but literally carrying that on a plane to fly in, to go to sleep for the next day for the premiere. Right. And they when they got to the premiere, they handed still, the, uh, yeah. the, uh, pre- the, the world premiere at the National Space Museum in D.C., but he's literally carrying, like you said, the last effects shot that he yeah. had to manually tell the projectionist when to slip it into the. No, 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 no. It was edited. What? It was it was a, it didn't have to insert it into that. The whole but the whole film he had the cam. Okay, okay. But he it had, had the, just all been the reels, but it, but it had just that reel was the first one ever finished, waiting to the last minute so he okay. could pick up and be taken to the airport for the premiere. Okay. And, well, thank you for correcting um, me on that old wives' tale there about the. <laughs> The slipped in shot, but that's what it was. It definitely was the last shot that had just been slipped in before he got on the board on the plane right. with the wet can. Okay. And there were more shots finished after the fact. And there were shots that were intended to be finished further that didn't make it. Like one of the ones that we're most proud of, the Enterprise coming towards you out of dry dock, which had a support arm. Well, the earth was supposed to be there in the shot. Well, they never had time to remove the support arm. And if and therefore the Earth would have made it even more visible. But we were able to remove the support arm, put the Earth back in, and that's effects elements that were designed to be there, that are now there. This film has never, ever been in a finished form until now. You have never seen Star Trek: The Motion Picture until you see the director's edition, new, completed in 4K. And that's that's what I've been preaching. But that rush, that dead rush to get it done in time, get something out in time, is exactly why this week's right. document, well, this week's like letter, this could happen. Lots of things falling through the cracks. And now you mentioned Brick Price, just so we can sit on it for a second. Brick Price movie miniatures, props, set Did pieces. props and other things for the, some, for the yeah, film. Yeah. And he, his, he was left off the credits. And, we, and Mike Akuda gave me a letter that we presented on the Trek Files uh, a while mm-hmm. ago of that... Uh, that was given to me before this time through. It wasn't available the last time. So I did add it to the, to the original credits to the film. I wouldn't make those changes. But I mean, there were other things that were so rushed, like Sid Mead was M-E-A-D-E on his name. And, I, and, and back when we did this originally, I called Sid because I knew him and said, hey, Sid, you know, they spelled your name incorrectly. Was that something you were doing at the time? Do you want me to leave it that way? Do you want me to fix it? He said, oh, please fix it. And we looked through and there were things like that little things mm-hmm. here and there that we were able to correct because of the mad rush to get the thing finished. I say this, it's like the opening credits. It's like a Woody Allen picture, white card, white card, 
white card. You know, yeah. now it's golden and, and and royal. We were talking about uh, the color blue. A story that we've mentioned before was that um, we were trying to figure out how we wanted to do the opening credits. So we wanted to do a light blue, or do you want to do a gold? I was all for the gold because that's the gold standard. It's it's the beautiful new film. And we left it to Bob, who came in uh, and was looking at it, and he finally said. And I, I didn't want the blue because we, I was really working hard to get that cold feeling out of the film back 20 some odd years ago. But when Bob saw it, he immediately said, go with the gold. It has balls. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's right. And there it's a way go. to start out on a warmth. So, yeah, well, I have no doubt. You were talking about having a verification letter as you have with Brick Price. I have no doubt. I mean, look at the detail he's lining out here. Yeah, but there's so uh, many Chinoy. so many graphics mm -hmm. that were made up. We transferred so many of the mm -hmm. of the bridge monitors because we were originally thinking about putting them in to get rid of the flicker. And we found out that there was a better way uh, to remove the flicker and make it stable and work. And that's what we did. And then used one or two of the computer the desk graphics to augment what was on there to get some more color and detail into ones that are in director's edition. There's something you might have missed if you wanted to compare and see what it was. There's a couple of shots that were that, that did have those uh, enhanced with the original elements. But since we transferred them, it was uh, be great to have some to show in the special features in here. Right. But there's a right. lot more than he's just referring to. Oh, right. And well, I'm, they, they ran through the loops so fast. They were, they were racing, the art style, Lee and where, however they could cobble things together. Isn't this true? Mm -hmm. That they were racing to add to the initial, they ran through them so fast. Yeah, but they then they picked a, a certain one. They picked a certain one for each window because they didn't really change all that much, and you didn't want to be shooting something and mm -hmm. have it suddenly go to a different graphic. That it needed to support what was on screen most of the time. So those were smaller loops that would stay working in those graphics around and yeah. around. Yeah, and we're but talking physical film in physical yeah. projectors that not only infamously made the noise that they had to ADR, replace the dialogue. Mm -hmm. But but also mm -hmm. they just ran through fast. They'd be shooting a scene and one of them would run out and they'd have oh, to. Oh, they were stop. they were credited as loops. The sixty right. millimeter had a, a system where it could actually oh, okay. keep playing, okay. so it forever worked. But you had to be sure to start your take with all of them at the head, so that it didn't so they didn't end and go into something else. There was so much to manage in it, and I know Bob hated them so much that he started staging his his actors. If you watch the film towards closer to the end, he'll have you know Decker stand here where there's a screen that was formerly behind it. And have somebody else stand here, and it's a good good staging of the set, but he's covering up the monitors because he knew how much that would distract them. And it was just the amazing talent of understanding your audience that, that had him do that. And that's what he instilled on me, is just make it the best it can be for an audience. And now it is. And, yeah, and stop that. having to deal with the, the, the uh, logistics of working with those loops and trying to find a way around it after they were established. And uh, Yeah, you, you can't fix it in post back then. It's like you really Picard, can, you can. Picard always put the Enterprise D to impulse before he called a conference room meeting so they wouldn't have to do street stars out the, <laughs> out the windows. Right. Well, David, thank you so much for jumping in. This was, this was again, another lovely little letter here. We f I feel bad for um, Mark and his company. We were, uh, you know, it turns out that Stomar has gone through different names and exists today, but, uh, you know, it's... I don't think anyone's going to mind that this um, that we're spotlighting the situation, but it's typical. It's the it's the 
It's the casualties of that crazy, it's not the optimal way to do a movie ever or do any kind of a project ever with that kind of brush. But it's nice to have this on the record and um, and, and it's a nice slice. It calls us back to Jesko von Puttkammer again. Mm -hmm. uh, it even gives them some more, the, the targeting scanner here on Chekhov's weapon scanner. And so got a design for it, so. Right, right, and here's a little contribution here of the fluorescent plexi. So Mark, I don't know if it's, don't know if this is any consolation, but thank you. And people have seen the work all these years and they're re we're discovering it now. So what work is there? It goes along with a, with a collection of other beautiful artists. You did work you should be proud of. And thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you, David, for joining us once again and talking all things motion picture then and now. And again, if, if people have not seen the 4K edition. You haven't uh, seen the film. You have not seen the film. I totally You owe it yes. to yourself. It's a gift for you and everyone you know. And if you love it, tell everybody. See it on as large a screen as you can, too. Don't watch it on your phone. David, thanks again. Anytime. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Now, all of our documents and your chance to comment, and please do, are available at facebook.com slash the Trek Files. Now, for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47. Yeah, that's me at LarryNimacek.com. And that's where you can link in for all the new Trek Files swag and shirts at our Tee Public shop, too. Trek well, everybody. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.